0: This is Building Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. On the show, you'll hear from everyday people changing their lives doing property development. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques that you can use to accelerate your property journey. I'm your host, Amanda McKeown, and I'm the founder of The Rising Star Developer, and I'm really passionate about helping everyday Australians build lifestyle using property development. Welcome to another exciting episode of Building Lifestyles, a podcast that delves deep into the world of creating wealth and lifestyle using property. I'm your host, Amanda McEwen and today we have a remarkable guest who is truly a powerhouse in the world of property renovations. Our guest today is none other than Bernadette Jansen, a highly respected renovator, speaker, trainer, and coach. Bernadette is not only the founder of the School of Renovating, but also the creative force behind She Renovates. With over three decades of hands-on experience, she's an expert at transforming neglected properties into profitable assets. What truly sets Bernadette apart is her innovative approach to combining her renovation expertise with small-scale property development. Her strategies have revolutionized the real estate game and have resulted in remarkable success stories for herself, her family, and her community. In today's episode, we'll be diving deep into Bernadette's journey, exploring her invaluable insights on profit boosting strategies and the power of combining renovation with small development. We'll learn about her experiences, challenges, and her unique path to retiring at the age of 29 and creating a lifestyle that she's always dreamed of. Whether you're a seasoned investor looking to enhance your real estate portfolio or someone who's just getting started in the world of property, you're going to want to stick around and listen to this conversation with Benedette Jansen. So let's get into it. Hello Benedette. Hello, Amanda, and thank you for that rather glowing introduction. Had
1: to pinch myself there for a minute.
0: <laughs> my pleasure, and I think introduction is going to be confirmed as we go through the questions. Let's start with learning more about you and your journey, because it's been fascinating. What motivated you to start renovating in the first place? I lived on a farm in country
1: Victoria, and when I was about 13, decided that I would make over my room because... I don't know, farmers tend, all the money goes into the business and the house, while it's adequate, it didn't suit my sense of what was appropriate for a teenager to be living in. So I made it over and I really, really got the sense of how transforming your surroundings transforms the way you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've never lost that, that sense of power with it. And so as time went on, I pretty much renovated everything I've ever lived in. And then, of course, I branched out into other projects. And I married a Stephen who is equally as addicted to renovating as I am. So you've sort of taken it from there. And I've been renovating for, yeah, a very
0: long time. Well, that's amazing. Property gets into your blood, doesn't it? Everyone you speak to who's involved in one aspect of property and there's so many different ways of getting involved in property it gets in your blood and it just uh, does you for a very long time doesn't it yeah it does so you've been renovating for over 30 years can you share with us the top five lessons that you've learnt during this time and I'm sure there's been many more than five But if we can narrow it down to five, that'd be amazing. Okay, so I guess the
1: toughest lesson for us to learn, and I say us because in the early days, Stephen and I were a team, is that DIY is not going to get you what you want because what happens is that you tend not to factor in the cost of the work that you're doing yourself. And so ultimately you end up working for nothing, basically. And so Stephen being in the building industry, like we did it his way and he, yeah. And and so I really had to outlaw DIY in order to become profitable. The second thing I think is that you need to make your profit when you buy the property. You would know this as well with what, yeah. with your developments, that if you spend too much on the original purchase and buy the wrong property, that there's no recovering from that. It's pretty much a downhill run. And so well, one of the things that I like to do is I like to have the vendor pay the stamp duty. So in tune, I'd like to at least get a discount to the value of the stamp duty and often more. But yeah, and even through the toughest markets, we've been able to achieve that. The third one is that renovating is probably, I think this probably translates as well to development. It's more about managing relationships. So being able to manage people to deliver the outcome in a timely and cost effective manner is like, Key. When things go wrong, like you may have a budget blowout for one reason or another, as we know, property is fickle and it can throw up some curveballs. And often the tendency is to really pull back on the spend towards the end of the project. And that can be really detrimental to the outcome. And so often, sometimes when I've had a time where we've had a major blowout for one reason or another, I've actually up the ante. Not like I spend indiscriminate, indiscriminately, but really looking for ways to, we call it wow stacking, really up the ante on the wow, so that we can move the pro- property into a higher price bracket. And sometimes I think about, I think, why didn't we start with that in mind? <laughs> but opportunities present themselves as you go along. And sorry, I've made notes on this to make sure I don't stumble. No, that's all I've put down. And of course, sorry, no.
0: Okay, great. And yeah, you're so right. Things do evolve as projects happen. There's You've almost going to expect the unexpected because every single project will challenge you in a way that you least expect. So no matter how experienced you are and and you've got over 30 years and I've got many, many years, over a decade of experience in property and every single project will teach you something new. Absolutely. you Be open to the challenge, don't you? So what inspires, so you've been a renovator, so what inspired you to start the School of Renovating and She Renovates? Okay,
1: basically I was bored and lonely because you would know working on projects on your own can be quite isolating and so what I did was really created the community that I wanted for myself Mm -hmm. and yeah so there you go she renovates the podcast was don't really know why I started that I think I just like talking about renovating a lot so Mm -hmm. why not
0: absolutely and I hear you is. Such a, it can be quite a lonely game as an entrepreneur and, and in property development and, and yeah, have, be able to connect with like-minded people who are going through something similar to what you are to be able to troubleshoot and help others around you. It almost gives you that extension of being part of a broader team and community, even though you've got your own business. Yeah, I hear yeah. you because that was one of the drivers, one of the many drivers why I started the Rising Star Developer as well, and it's delivered that and so much more. Yeah. And so you mentioned the power of combining renovation with small-scale property development. Can you just elaborate on this strategy and how it's boosted the profitability of your projects? So
1: renovators absolutely love the whole process of renovating. Like for my so I know that uh development is as a rule a higher profit margin, but I just love the the texture and the feel of renovating. And so by combining, we call it micro-development. So basically what we do is we look for a block that has sufficient land that can be subdivided off and build new properties on the excess land and renovate the house and sell it and put that money back in the deal. So in essence, you're getting your land for free. And I guess the motivation for that was really about, in some ways, it increases risk, but in a lot of ways it decreases risk because when you're just buying a house to renovate and sell, you don't have many exit strategies. Mm-hmm. There's really just the one. And I personally think it's quite a high, a high risk strategy. Yeah. And so by adding that land component onto it, it in some ways, reduces market market risk, but also it provides an opportunity to build a portfolio quite quickly because yeah. you're putting your money from the Reno back into the deal. Obviously, a renovated house you're not going to pay GST on all that stuff. This is not financial advice, by the way. And yeah, so it it enables you to have a higher profit margin in some ways have lower risk and to be able to build a portfolio, a high cash flow, high equity portfolio quite quickly. And it ties into the skills of a renovator.
0: Yeah. And also a great thing about that particular strategy as well is it, it can be a really good way for renovators to dip their toe in the world of property development too. So you mentioned about exit strategies, and that's a really important point because it's something I teach a lot of with my students, by having multiple exit strategies, it means that if you have a block, you can renovate the front, flick it on, and you can either sell the back of block with as raw land, or you can build on it, or you can keep it. So so many different avenues to be able to work on that development or, be, or maximize profit on that development or that project. That yeah, it, it almost seems like the natural evolution, and it's certainly with most renovators that I've spoken to, they end up at some stage moving into the property development game and, and leveraging their renovation skills as well, which is amazing
1: absolutely so i'm actually i'm currently in one of our at one of our sites at the moment this is a property that we're doing with our third daughter and that's exactly what this is it's a micro development strategy which is awesome
0: okay and, and what stage are you at with that project
1: we've renovated the house and i'm just down here getting it onto airbnb and we're going yeah we'll be doing the sub- so basically we're doing it in two stages into two firstly and then ultimately when we build on the vacant land, it'll be into three.
0: Yeah. And and another great thing about that as well is if you are limited by your available funds to be able to do a development, by staging it like that means you can then recycle the, the equity from your, your renovation into the development and, and do it in stages if you don't have that big yeah. lump sum to take it on up front. So that's another benefit of being able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so what are some key profit-boosting strategies that you've employed in your renovation projects and how can listeners apply that to their own property ventures? So
1: in the the early days, we used to do a lot of structural renos, but I figured out the sweet spot is somewhere along that continuum between a purely cosmetic reno and a full structural reno, and we call it cosmetic plus. And so it's really about maximum return for minimum amount of effort and so it might be generally it's a way of making a home more appealing to current market. Usually they're old and dated and floor plans are a bit eating kitchens no longer that desirable. Yeah. And so you know, like opening up the kitchen living area, which is what we've done here, it might be it depends on your market. It might be adding a bathroom, like if you've got three bedrooms and maybe just putting on an ensuite, like having one and a half bathrooms will really add some value. So finding a thing, some like pieces that will improve the livability of it because – Making a profit from a purely cosmetic renovation can be quite challenging. And so it's just adding a bit more to the pie. I think other things are really painting is 101, the easiest, the cheapest and the most effective way to add value. But just making sure that you work with a colour consultant and make sure you get the right colours because we talk a bit about perceived value. And like, if you paint a property in a colour that doesn't have broad appeal, then that will just really not work in your favour. I think really being like, you need to have broad appeal, but just not being too generic. Like The tendency with renovators is you always put a white kitchen in, you know, standard white bathroom with the concrete light grey floor tiles. I think the, our market is a little bit more discerning and requires a bit more uniqueness in how you do the Renault. So, yeah, just not being too wild because obviously you don't want to polarise your market, but just making sure that you're not doing generic, sort of a generic style, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that same concept applies to development as well, right? Because you want to make sure that you are creating a vanilla product in a way that it appeals to a broader sector of the market, but also has that sense of way well to differentiate it. So that same concept very much applies to uh, to development too and, and I think it's as a developer and I, I imagine this the same as renovation as well you almost have to take away your own passions and flares and tastes because you're not actually renovating or you're developing for yourself you're actually developing for somebody else so it's that fine balance and I know when I speak to my students some people it's not their flair and if that's the yeah. case go find somebody who does that where is their flair yeah. get input from a a colour consultant or an interior designer bring in the skills that you don't have. Absolutely. It's interesting because I've been thinking
1: about that a bit lately because I have some renovators who do renovate to their own personal taste and, like, just absolutely nail it. But now that I think about it, they're interior designers, the Mm -hmm. ones that I'm thinking of. So it's probably, yeah, a learnt skill. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, so then to them I would say absolutely stick to your house but yeah yeah
0: uh, okay for three decades of experience there's no doubt you've had plenty of challenges along the way and um, can you talk us through a couple of probably say three challenges that you have dealt with during your time in renovating and how you've overcome them okay
1: so I think the first major challenge I had from memory was actually we did my very first development what it was a one into two in Adelaide. Now, oh, you're in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> i about to launch into. Anyone would know that Adelaide can be quite a challenging market, but you would know all about that. Well, certainly at the time we were doing that, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought you walk down the street, thought there's a house. I reckon we could bulldoze that and put a two on it, and it was like. I wouldn't say it was disastrous. We didn't lose money out of it, but I learned so many lessons out of that project that it has placed me in a good position moving forward. And one of the things was almost 20% interest rates, which at the time was really challenging. We ended up selling them pretty much at cost. And so... And I think the biggest thing I learned out of that was what a horrible mistake that was and how not so much the, well, obviously not doing the right research, but really the thing that I learned was my lack of knowledge around finance and how to finance that. Because knowing what I know now, I know that we could have held those properties and still own them today, but I had it in my head that we had to sell them because they were costing so much to hold but I didn't need to do that. So learning how to finance projects has been really a key thing. Moving on, like I've experimented with lots of different strategies. I've done subdivision. I've moved a waterway. I've moved a house. And I think I've sort of come to a point where I just let things unfold rather than be really committed to a particular outcome, having multiple exit strategies so that one thing, as you would know, with when development's involved, often a door will close and you need another one to open to progress. What other challenges have I had? Oh, yes. Sorry, I did think this through. One of the main challenges was having a husband in the building industry because I'm sure you come up against this, but they, and it may not impact with development so much, but certainly with renovating, tradesmen and builders want to gut the house. That's the common process and they want to build to a standard that they would do in their forever home. And you just can't afford to do that in most scenarios because you just don't make any profit. And a lot of times the profit with renovating is about what you don't do. Now, you do need to deliver a quality product, but you have to be a little bit more resourceful in how you do that. And so like in our early days, I mentioned we did a lot of DIY. Stephen would be building roof frames, I'd be tiling bathrooms. It was like crazy. And what I ended up doing is, as I said, outlawing DIY and really creating my own structure for how we ran the renos. And I call it like housewife managing a family budget married with professional project management skills. And like... So, we have a lot of workarounds, so if you want to deliver a really good outcome, like often we have tiny budgets, we will upcycle a kitchen, like we will buy a pre-loved kitchen and save ourselves twenty or thirty thousand and and but we still need to be able to deliver that so it looks new. So, yeah, is that enough?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. no, there's so many pearls of wisdom in there, so people will take out whatever relates to them and where they're at. So thank you for sharing that. Many of our listeners are are actually aspiring property developers. What advice would you give to those is starting out in the world of real estate, looking to create profitable projects, blending both renovation and development? I think
1: I would say get really clear about what your objectives are. Me, now I'm not sure whether you experience this, but I do experience people who come into the industry but are not really clear about the outcome they want. Their, their thoughts about their renovating or developing are really based around a project and not based around what they want to get out of it. So I have a lot of flippers in my community who will do a flip. In fact, I had a situation this morning. One of my women had this deal that she'd found in Newcastle and it had about 100,000 profit in it for a quick flip and she was quite keen on moving forward on it. And I just looked at it and I thought... That is so much work for a 100,000 profit. And you could do, and she's a town planner as well. So she could do so much better and create more long-term wealth rather than just doing a quick flip of a house. I think really understanding what you want out of it. And I think people in their 20s and 30s probably can't really relate to what's going to happen in their 40s, 50s and 60s. But really the the long-term game for just about everyone I think should be one, pay off your mortgage, two, replace your income so you have freedom. And unfortunately, it took me about 20 years to figure that out. And if you're a flipper, that's what happens because flipping is just like a job and you earn your 100 grand a pop, but you never really build that momentum to have income after you stop working. So that would be my advice. And of course, my other advice, particularly with development, is to get educated because, as we know, there are plenty of traps for beginners and, yeah.
0: No, I hear you there. And, and that's the same with renovation, right? Whether you're renovating or developing, investing in yourself, yes, it may cost you a few thousand dollars, about $30,000 to learn that. But if you go out and do a project, one avoiding one simple error and you can get a 10 times return on that investment so quickly. So it always baffles me why people seem so reserved to learn from someone who's actually doing that fast track the knowledge rather than having to go and learn the bumps along the way like you did when you first started out as well to be able to just leverage someone else's skill it's almost like an insurance policy isn't it because you can you've got someone to be able to ask questions of things that have already been in your shoes and probably dealt with your issue and can save you so much time and so much pain completely
1: i think I'll give you a really good example of that. I had a, a woman come into our into our program, and she had already set up a joint venture with three other people. At, well, I think she was invited to join it, and they'd already bought the property. And when I looked at the property, I was concerned that there wasn't enough money in it, and I just thought, couldn't you have started before you bought the property? And it would have made it, you would have saved yourself so much anxiety. And sure as eggs, no, there wasn't enough money in it. And so it's a lot of unnecessary pain for a few thousand dollars that that they would have had to pay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I've had the same thing in my business as well. The amount of students that I've had that have come into my Rising Star in a Circle, we have the same thing, they've gone out and bought a deal because they've spoken to somebody and they've read a book and, and they just go and launch into a project. And Haven't even done a feasibility and don't know the slightest thing. And if they'd only just invested in themselves, they, they wouldn't have even touched that property. And so, there's been a number of instances where I've really had to try and help unravel that with students to get them out of a bind so that they can, they want them to restart from scratch, lose money, take a hit, and then go because they would have lost a lot more money if they proceeded down that path. So each time I sort of go, Gosh, if only. And they always say to me, oh, why didn't I meet you earlier?" And it's like, well, always
1: educate yourself.
0: It's just it's absolutely. But I
1: also think it's more than education when you're a newbie, because like, I think it's a bit like riding a bike. You can learn how to ride a bike from a book. But when you get out on the road, making those judgment calls doesn't come second nature until you've been like doing it for a while. And so I certainly think, and particularly with development, yeah, actually with renovating as well, is getting getting some coaching, having someone that's done it before so that you can get them to review your feasibility, see what you've missed out because... Yeah. yeah as you, you know say you there know. are many traps for beginners
0: and you don't know what you don't know I find with my group coaching calls right I, I think they accelerate people's learnings because you're getting your own questions answered but you're also hearing other people's questions that you hadn't even thought of that may be at a completely different stage of a project and just by having that knowledge before you even get there just really fast tracks people as well so yeah, absolutely. That groups, that's for sure. Real estate markets can be unpredictable. As we know, we've been we've both been in the game long enough to see the ups and downs of a, a real estate market. How do you stay ahead of market trends and make informed decisions when it comes to choosing your projects? So firstly, we stay
1: very in touch with my local area, with my... So with our mainly women, we encourage them to become area experts, yes. to know their area well because if you don't, it's too much of a gamble. Yeah. And so that's one thing. The other thing is we do work with John Linderman, yeah. who is a an analyst and keeps us in touch with what's coming up. Because I really don't think anyone can really... Who could have predicted COVID? Like no one. Like there's lots of things that happen. But I think as long as you know your area well. And the other thing with renovating is part of your feasibility has to be a really robust exit or plan B because like a lot of people pay lip service to that and say, oh, if it doesn't sell, I'm just going to put it on, rent it out. Whereas they haven't actually sat down, done the, worked out, got a rental statement, worked out how much they're going to get for it if they rent it out. Is that going to cover the costs? Because, yeah, so really being more thorough in that area in order to be able to ride out the peaks and troughs. Just after the Royal Commission, I had, well, the Banking Royal Commission that we had to have, and the market absolutely plummeted. And I had three projects all just about finished. And in Sydney, the market just died overnight. And so fortunately, we were able to hold those properties. And so what we did is put them on Airbnb, which is my go-to. Because I love Airbnb and I love not putting a long term tenant in my beautiful new renovation. But that, and then just left them until the market picked up. And so the difference in sale price on two of those properties between 2019 and 2020 was around about 400,000. Nice. So just having that sort of robust, Plan is really, really important.
0: Yeah, and I'm guessing one other thing that would be similar in renovation to property development is also having that contingency in your feasibility as well.
1: Yeah. Do you find your contingency always gets used?
0: Yes, it does. Uh, Sorry, not, it's always there as that safety net. Yeah, whether projects go up or down, I mean, it just buffers the movement either way. If I have, if you have a contingency in there, that's what I find anyway. I
1: never find that the budget goes down. Oh, no, no, it
0: doesn't. But what with the, In properties, your sales can go up quite considerably. Oh, yeah. You might have an interest that goes up. Yeah, it really yeah. it may come down depending on your build costs because in development, we're doing budgetary numbers on build costs. We probably don't have as much visibility into how the numbers are going to look as a renovation because it's a lot more specific. So that's where I think your contingency is there in case if yeah. you put your fat in there, then your build cost comes in less, then you've got a bonus. That's where I think it's very important, particularly in development.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So also... We often hear about the importance of location in real estate. How do you go about selecting the right properties for your projects? And is there any factors that you consider most crucial? So it depends on your market. I think
1: the key thing as a renovator is knowing your market in whatever location you choose to work in. Like I am, I tend to want to work close to home. Mm-hmm. And knowing your market really well helps, reduces the risk and helps you to maximize your profit because you know what they want. So then you deliver it. But of course, if you're prepared to travel, that gives you the options for selecting an area. And I think a market that's really good for renovators at the moment is the downsizer market because they're selling their big homes, they're cashed up. While I wouldn't say that interest rates don't affect their willingness to pay top dollar, they're not as exposed to the the risks of interest rate rises and does that answer your question? So making sure that you you get an area that has a strong market. For instance, we've got a renovator that works in Port Macquarie, and she has a really strong downsizer market, and that really helps her. She knows exactly the deal, the the type of pro- property she needs to look at, the type of renovation that she does, and it always delivers like a really round about two hundred thousand profit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's very similar in development as well. Like we spend a lot of time always making sure we really understand our target market and then we create to our target market. So it's a similar concept in development as renovation. Yeah. Collaboration seems to be a recurring theme in your work, including doing deals with your children, which I absolutely love. And I can't wait to do that with my children as they get older. Can you tell us a bit more about the benefits of And challenges of collaborating with others to do deals, especially family members. How do you manage that to make sure that the relationship is first and the deal is second?
1: Yeah, I should. This is probably another challenge I I should have mentioned. I started doing joint ventures when I ended up in a contract for a property that I had no finance for. So two days before Christmas, I thought I'd cooled off. My solicitor had gone on holidays and didn't tell me, didn't cool off. And guess what? I'm in a contract for nearly a million dollars with no finance. And so I had to move quite quickly and the way I negotiated my way out of that is doing a joint venture and I did it with my builder. And so since then, I'm probably on to my 10th, I think. And I absolutely love joint ventures and managed well, they're an absolute joy and managed badly, they're a disaster. And so there's some key elements to it. Firstly, you want to make sure that you're going into the relationship with the right sort of people. So people that have a, a high level of integrity, people that, uh, that complement your skills as well, and that you understand and follow a rigorous documentation process. So we use a legal structure called a unit trust, and we overarch that with an agreement which really outlines the rules of the game. And so that basically means that you will determine, you will assign roles because otherwise, because we're in a community of women who all love the the aesthetics of a So mm-hmm. if you've got, if you're doing design by committee, that is a recipe for disaster. So you've got to allocate one person. You need to have a leader of the JV. Like you can't, it's not a democracy because for it to go well, the most experienced person needs to lead it. And if you can manage that, then that opens up a whole new opportunity for fun. And as you said, we do projects with our kids. So we're up to number three, we've got four. And so where they get the investment loan, we put in some cash. We do a project and our goal is for each of them to get at least a hundred thousand in their hand to go off into their property journey. So far, we've been able to achieve that and more. But we also do projects with our community. I actually do projects with my students because one of the reasons is because they want a lot of my students come in and want to flip, and I just get the nervous about them taking on such a high risk strategy. So what we do is we run a class project. So where the buck stops with me and we pull. so they invest in the project, we run it together. And so I, I'm leading it. So the the decisions stop with me and we split the profit and we're up to our third one and we're just pulling together the members at the moment but we're looking at a block of units in Melbourne and that's a lot of fun too and it's a learning experience. I think they're great in a mentoring situation because you can have someone that's inexperienced with someone more experienced and learning on the job.
0: Yeah what an incredible experience And, and to be able to work closely with you and see how you work that's certainly a way to fast track people's learning and I particularly love you're doing projects with your children. I've got a number of students of mine who do the same thing. And what a way to be able to really empower your children to take responsibility for their own wealth creation, but also a lovely journey to go on with them to be part of that. So I think that just fills my heart with joy hearing those stories like that. It
1: and it's like there's something really good, like your children are still quite young, aren't they? They're teenagers, yes. Yeah, so once old. they become young adults, you always have something to talk about family gets together. So it's not just family politics, which we don't really have a lot of, which is fine, good, but... It's a focus for the family that's outward looking and yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you so much for sharing that. What's next for Burnett Janssen and She Renovates and your other property ventures? So you have, what's uh, on the horizon for you? Okay,
1: well, I am just finishing two out of three projects. And the third one is our family home. We're age-proofing our family home, putting a lift in and stuff like that. And that has now going to free me up. And what I'm going to be moving into is once again in joint ventures, but providing affordable housing for women who don't have a home to live in. And so we found a really great model in Melbourne that basically purpose-built properties. And so I'm on the journey to possibly convert She Renovates into a social enterprise to okay. enable like because these projects are about a minimum of a million dollars in a regional area to in a a metropolitan area so I want to provide women the opportunity that might not invest might not be able to do a whole project themselves but might say have a hundred thousand to invest and they can own a room and so provide another woman with affordable accommodation that is still very cash flow positive so that's that's what I'm working on at the moment and I'm very excited about it
0: Oh, that sounds incredible. I love when people like yourself, and you've done so much in property, but I think when we could be of service to other people, I think that takes your level of... Joy and leverage success to a whole different level, doesn't it? it
1: does. It does. So, yeah, we'll like see I it. can't
0: wait to hear how that goes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge in property and in life with all the listeners. It's been fantastic hearing your journey and sharing your learnings as well. And no doubt the listeners are going to take out some pearl of wisdom from that and help them move forward in their journey as well. So, thank you so much for spending time and joining us. Thank you for having me, Amanda. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. This is Building Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. This podcast was produced by The Rising Star Developer. We've been helping Australians realise their financial and lifestyle goals since 2020. We play a pivotal role in educating, supporting and celebrating the goals and successes of our students and our community. To find out how we can help you realise your property, wealth and lifestyle goals, head to our website, www.risingstardeveloper.com.au To make sure you don't miss an episode of Building Lifestyles, be sure to subscribe to and follow the show in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review as it really helps others find the show. I'm Amanda McEwen and we'll be back next episode with more tips on how you can build your lifestyle.